Hello and welcome to the Bang to Rights podcast. My name is Peter Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism at Manchester Metropolitan Uni. I'm joined uh, by my MMU colleague from MMU, Jeremy Craddock. Hi, Jez. Hi, Pete. And uh, by Dave Porter. Hi, Dave. Hi, Pete. And, and Jez, you can hear that you're not actually with us. Dave, Dave, first of all, where are we? Where on earth are we? We're at Harlow College and we're at the two-day NCTJ annual conference, the Skills Conference. So it's great to be surrounded by fellow academics and um, journalists. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been a fascinating morning already. We'll, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Jez, where are you? I'm uh, still back at uh, MMU, uh, preparing to go into a media law and regulation uh, lecture and session. Name, yeah. So I'm, I'm effectively holding the fort. Yeah, holding the fort. So um, this, is, fort. this is our first ever outside <laughs> yeah. broadcast, and you're the guy. You're the guy who's stuck at home. <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah. Home alone. <laughs> so um, here at the NCTJ, NCTJ conference at, at Harlow College, we, we've already had a session on data journalism. Um, in a moment, Facebook's um, Sarah Brown is about to talk about video on social media. And right after that, we've got Joe Webster, who's the managing editor of strategy and operations at Reuters um, for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. She's chairing a session on the safety and mental welfare of journalists at work. A couple of years ago, Reuters pioneered a project aimed at its reporters working in conflict zones to monitor and hopefully to safeguard their mental health in potentially traumatic situations. Joe Webster told me more. So I think fundamentally we believe that no story, no photo, no video um, is worth injury or death. And I think that's the, the, the fundamental message that we send our journalists. Um, the well-being and mental health of our staff is absolutely paramount. And over the last sort of decade, really, we've been trying to constantly iterate and improve our processes and codify um, how we take care of our staff to make sure that we're, we're kind of leading the industry. So we have a kind of a three-tier system in place. The first thing we do is provide um, a global trauma support program, which we run in conjunction um, with an external company called CIC, which has trained therapists um, working for it. And that global trauma program is open to all of our employees at any time. Um, we felt, though, that perhaps we weren't getting the word out enough or journalists perhaps were um, reticent to approach uh, CIC. And so what we did a couple of years ago was to create, to start to build a peer network um, in our organization where we got volunteers in all, at all different levels and in all different disciplines and assets to offer to become a peer. And we've been giving them training every six months, sort of basic counseling training um, run by CIC for a couple of days. We bring them together. We discuss the issues that our journalists are facing and, and others in the industry. And then they are basically at... Um, you know, available to anybody who wants to talk to somebody that's perhaps not as, um, let's say, invested in an issue, that's more independent, but that's, that's seen as a sort of peer. Um, and we found as a result of that, that um, the uptake of um, therapy at CIC has risen quite significantly. Now, I don't think that's because staff are more stressed. I think that's because staff, the stigma around mental health and well-being is being removed and staff are much more aware of the 
um, what we have on offer to them. And then finally, we've also um, appointed um, a full-time head of mental health and well-being, um, a chap called um, Dean Yates. Now, Dean um, has worked around the world and sadly um, has been affected by PTSD. He's written some amazing blogs, so I would recommend anyone to sort of have a look at them. And he he very much works around um, raising awareness of mental health issues, providing support to staff, breaking down the stigma, um, and also working with HR to really codify what we're trying to do and provide resources for staff as well uh, to help support them. Was there a particular sort of either series of events or incidents that, that sort of led to this awareness in Reuters that this was an issue that you were going to have to deal with? I mean, I'm thinking, was it the experience of people coming back from covering the Iraq and Afghanistan's war or, or things like that? Or was it just generally an awareness that this was something you had to tackle? I mean, we t- typically don't tend to comment on individual cases, mainly out of respect and sensitivity to, to the journalists and their families. But I think what is important is that we felt we wanted to be an industry leader in this space. And, you know, if you look at the statistics, um, mental health is the biggest cause of, um, acro- not just in, in, in journalism, but across um, the sort of Western uh, world of a long-term sick leave. Um, so really, not only is, is, it, is there a moral imperative to this, there's also a business imperative to this, and it makes sense if we can help to support our staff, um, you know, we, we will hopefully have a happier and more productive uh, workforce. And so what kind of take-up are you getting over, over the whole piece? So in terms of um, our peer support network, we started off with 12 peers. We now have 50, I think it's over 50 um, across the world in lots of different locations. We've been expanding our peers in the Middle East and Africa, for example, recently. Um, we have regular blogs that are produced, not just by Dean Yates, um, our head of mental health and well-being, but other individuals that perhaps have suffered different um, issues. So we've had journalists report who are, you know, create blogs who are bipolar, who've suffered from d- depression or burnout, um, and also sort of unpacking, trying to help unpack that professional and personal um, life because a lot of what we find is that um, many mental health issues can actually be caused by someone's personal life and you know we have to help them navigate that as well. Okay Joe I know you've got to get back to the conference to prepare for your session but thanks very very much indeed for joining us thanks a lot. Thank you. So, uh, Joe Webster from uh, Reuters, and uh, we'll put a link into that blog from Dean, um, the, the journalist who kind of started all of this going. We'll put a link onto the show notes and onto Twitter about that and hopefully get some more information from Reuters um, that we can put onto, onto the tweet, uh, the, the Twitter feed rather. So, a reminder, you're listening to Bang to Rights from MMU's Multimedia Journalism Unit. You can tweet us at RightsBang with comments or suggestions on the programme. We really would love to hear from you. Dave, we're all about teaching law and regulation on the podcast. And this Mm. week at MMU, we had a reminder from a leading player in the industry about why all this law stuff is so important in our day-to-day work. Yeah, John Pickford from Bauer Media came in, chatting about how important, as a broadcaster, obviously, but he thought he was a print guy. We must have the Ofcom rules, IBSO, um, how to act ethically and how to act legally. Really important message to students. So let's hear what he had to say. I'm standing here. I don't know what's going out in our news at the moment, and I've got to trust our team of bulletin editors to be getting it right under pressure, or I, I could actually be um, in front of a, of a high court judge um, or um, 
end up with uh, a little spell in jail, not because of my mistake, but because of the mistake of one of the team. And an Ofcom can impose huge fines or actually take your license off you. So it's a highly responsible job. And the legal stuff is absolutely essential that you listen and learn about that because that can get us into a lot of trouble if you get it wrong. Jez, did, did you find, uh, what, what, did you, what was your impression of, of that session? I found it really interesting, um, particularly from uh, the point of view of our Level 6 students who are working on campaigning journalism. Um, John spoke at length about the, the campaigning journalism that his journalists do. Um, he, he played a couple of videos as well. Um, I think one was with Michelle Livesey, I believe, the uh, investigative journalist, yeah. uh, journalist there, and how she, she talked about Claire's Law and how some of their campaigns have actually led to a change in the law. So I thought that was really useful and instructive for our Level 6 students. Um, but there was a really good vibe from, um, from John in terms of you know, working at Bauer Media, and I think he's probably a, a good boss to work for by, by the looks of it. Yeah, he sounded like he, he he sounded like he he welcomes he would welcome students from from MMU and and he you know he has a lot of yeah. work experience students mm. come in by the sounds of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I learned about a new parliamentary procedure this week: sending your cat. It's what the Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg was accused of by a Belgian MP Nella Ninian. It's a Flemish phrase apparently that means not showing up. The Facebook boss once again got MPs from Singapore, Canada, Ireland and Belgium all riled up by not showing up to an international session of the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee in their latest stage of the inquiry into fake news and the role of social media giants. The MPs were sufficiently annoyed by his no-show that they empty-chaired him, literally, with a Mark Zuckerberg nameplate on the table of the committee room in front of a vacant chair. Now, we heard in last week's episode from the Taunton Dean MP, Rebecca Pau, on the Johnson Press debate. This week, in the DCMS committee hearing, she asked the Facebook vice president, Richard Allen, who was seated next to that empty chair, if he recognised that public confidence in the platform has plummeted as a result of the recent scandals over fake news and data breaches. Absolutely. It's a major concern, a major topic of conversation. We recognise, uh, both through our own actions and external events, that we're not in a good place in terms of trust. And the Information Commission came out uh, with a fine yes. for uh, Facebook uh, because they had deep concerns about what's, what's going on there uh, and saying that uh, you could at risk, you put the UK members at risk uh, and you'd not done enough to address all of these, all of these allegations. But now I believe Facebook is, is challenging this. Yeah. Fine. On what grounds are you challenging so, that? So again, what we're challenging is the judgment, and, and I, it is helpful, I, again, I think you have a session later to explain the rationale. We've tried to do that in public. It is not the amount of the fine that is the issue here. The issue is that there is language in the judgment that goes to the heart of the thing we've been discussing, which is how do you assign responsibility between the first party and the third party when you have one of these developer relationships? That, that we think is very important to test, not just for us, actually, but for the whole sector. The appeal is the route, and the Information Commission herself has said it's an appropriate route, for us to have that legal question looked at in some detail. And again, just to understand the concerns, some of the language in there suggests that if I have an email or a message that's been sent to, to me by somebody and I share it with a third party, 
that that may be illegal and cause problems back to, to the first party. That's the kind of question I think is really important that we get right, because it will affect the entire ecosystem of uh, internet applications. So just to finish, uh, Mr Chairman, um, just the, to the point that my Irish colleague made there, you said that you were pleased that we're having an open discussion about regulation. Uh, are you really pleased, or does, does that appeal not demonstrate you're actually trying to get out of your responsibilities? Uh, I think, no, no, again, just to be very precise, so I, I am pleased, personally, um, and the company is, is uh, very much engaged all the way up uh, to our CEO, and say he's spoken about this in public, on, on the idea of getting the right kind of regulation so that we can stop being in this confrontational mode, frankly. It doesn't serve us or our users well. The continuing DCMS committee inquiry comes after the release of a long-awaited report by journalists, media experts and academics, and a number of politicians, including the DCMS committee chair, Damien Collins, into truth and trust in journalism. The T3 Commission, which stands for Truth, Trust and Technology, is based at the London School of Economics. It's joined calls for a levy on the social media giants such as Facebook, Google and Twitter. The Commission wants part of that money to set up what it calls the Independent Platforms Agency. I heard more on how the agency would work from the Commission's research manager, Ros Taylor. First thing to say is it's not, in the first instance anyway, a regulator. It performs a kind of scrutiny and coordination role. So our starting point is that self-regulation isn't working. And the, the crisis that we're seeing in misinformation means that we need uh, an agency that can take an umbrella view and can look and coordinate with other agencies and also have the power to do really proper investigation into what is going on in terms of things like uh, which articles are being shared and read on the platforms uh, by different demographics to have access to that kind of information and to uh, work very closely with uh, organisations like Ofcom and the Electoral Commission and to work on improving uh, the, uh, uh, elect the electoral re regulations which are not really fit for purpose anymore and for help to help basically to help the platforms to keep up because they've experienced such unprecedented growth, extremely fast growth and the mechanisms that they have in place to uh, encourage people to engage with with them tend to privilege acrimonious engagement and the spread of misinformation. It's becoming quite a crowded field, this, because Ofcom themselves, you mentioned them, the Electoral Commission, they've, they've both said that they would like to take part in some this kind of investigation of the big platforms. The DCMS committee in the House of Commons is already doing its own investigation. Are you are you kind of yep. are you lagging behind this? No, now? I don't think so. I mean DCMS committee uh, the uh, big player in that is Damien Collins MP mm -hmm. and he is actually on the uh, commission for the LSE so we've been working fairly closely with him to work on these proposals and to flesh them out although I should point out that none of the commissioners are actually individually responsible for the content of the report sure. but it is true that the individual agencies have said yeah we want to step up but if you look at for example the electoral commission there are some systemic failures there uh, where they fail to regulate properly if you look at Ofcom, again, you know, great organisation, but has it got the capacity? It was, it's um, hasn't really historically fulfilled its role to promote media literacy. We want to help it do that. We want to work in the round and with also organisations like uh, the Office for Data Ethics, uh, which is just currently being set up, um, because this information touches on so many areas of public life. The 
So the agency itself would have the powers to investigate, but also would, I think you have in mind that it would kind of distribute some of the money that would come in from the levy as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Some of the money would be earmarked for a news innovation fund, and that would help to support quality journalism, essentially, and especially local journalism, but um, generally public interest journalism. Now, how would that be different or would it be different from the kind of proposal that we've seen, for example, from Jeremy Corbyn, from the Labour Party leader, to to have a levy and that that money would be directed into investigative journalism? Well, there are similarities, but we should point out that this, uh, the, the IPA would be independent of government. So there would be no risk of the government saying, well, this, you know, cherry picking and saying, well, this project looks like something we would favour. Um, it would be entirely independent of government and it would have a board made up of civil people from civil society and experts and so on. And so it wouldn't be a party political, it wouldn't be party political influenced. And you also envisage that the agency would be funded in part by that levy itself. Um, Have you got an idea about how much it would cost? Um, we think it would cost um, in around, I think, 30 to 40 million to set up the agency itself. Um, then, uh, because it's it's basically an observatory and, you know, reporting role. It's not, um, as I say, it's not actually a regulator. I guess some journalists would say, well, that's an awful lot of money. That could fund several newspapers for a few years. Well, it could, but um, again, the News Innovation Fund, which the IPA would coordinate, would be giving additional money uh, for that purpose. And I mean, someone has to decide where that money goes. It's a really complex job, you know. Yeah, so who, yes, who, who, is, yeah. who is worthy of getting, you know, this public money? It's not, you have to, you can't just hand that, that job over to anyone. And that's only, of course, a small part of the function. And when you think about the extent that, uh, misinf- that misinformation has, has, has polluted the environment, and the, not just in terms of what we think of traditionally as fake news, not just in terms of perhaps Brexit or Trump or anything like that, but also things like vaccines and health scares and, you know, the whole spectrum of uh, misinformation that is that is being pumped out. I think that's quite a small amount of money in the, uh, in, in the round. One group of people who conspicuously haven't really responded to, to the T3 report are Google, Facebook, Twitter, all the others. I mean, do you think you're still going to have to do... I guess there's still a political battle to be won about Mm. whether the IPA, how and whether it will be set up. But then how are you going to start getting the money from them? Because that's going to be a much bigger political and economic battle with the platforms themselves, isn't it? Well, the first point is that the platforms never respond to to reports like this. Um, I I think... So you're not worried by the fact that they're they're, they're keeping still... They tend to keep their counsel. I mean, they're watching very closely um, and don't be in any doubt about that. But, but just because there isn't any official response doesn't mean that they're not watching very closely. And I mean, indeed, today you're seeing Richard Allen, the uh, uh, one of the key people at Facebook, who is giving evidence to the DCMS committee in front of Damien Collins. And he, of course, is there because Mark Zuckerberg is not there. Mm. But he will be addressing very much some of the issues that we, we are uh, bringing um, bringing up the other point to um, make about the platforms is that they have do have a large amount of money 
uh, and revenues. We are not proposing to, you know, take a large amount of them. And indeed, the idea of a levy is already government, you know, white yes. paper policy. Yeah. It's already been brought up. Um, I don't think, frankly, that, um, e you know, even a tiny percentage levy on revenues would have trouble raising 30 to 40 million. Can we turn to some of the other things? Because it is T3, um, truth, trust and, and technology. Um, if that's the technology bit, what about truth and trust? Because kind of you, you have a lot of material in the report about fake news and tackling that. Yeah. Um, how, what would be the role of the, the agency in tackling some of the fake news issues and concerns about trust? Well, we would be reporting and keeping a close eye on what was going on, basically. And what we've found recently is that there have been scandals like Cambridge Analytica, which only emerge a long time after they took place and are exposed by, you know, sometimes a vigilant press. But there is no one who is keeping a watchful eye and looking out for these issues, partly because, as I say, the, the growth of the platforms has been so fast. And so suddenly we realise what's been going on and we're all pretty horrified. Similarly, mm. with something like vaccine misinformation and the extent of that in Eastern Europe is only just beginning to become clear because it's fed through in terms of lower vaccination rates. And we've only realised it, you know, that it's become a problem because of that because it's been so insidious and the role of the, uh, the the IPA will be to scrutinize very carefully what is going on and to watch and make sure that we identify misinformation when it's starting to take place now the government is already doing that often you know quite covertly in terms of Russian disinformation uh, there's no doubt that it's got its eye on that but it's an enormous job and that's only a part of the problem it looks that the, the kind of political context of all of this is changing. I mean, you mentioned the DCMS committee looking at all of this. There is much, much more scepticism now about Facebook's role, for example. I mean, do you think, do you think things are moving in, in the right direction in, in that context? Yeah, I think in terms of the issues being tackled, that now nobody was even thinking about two years ago and which are now coming to light, absolutely. And it is right to be sceptical uh, and question the platforms. Um, and uh, it's right to question their move fast and break things attitude. It's also right to question what newspapers and, and uh, the wider media are doing. One of the things we want to do um, in terms of trust, as you've been talking about, is to encourage the media to find ways to... Uh, to to, uh, I, to help people identify quality news, basically. And that is a key part of media literacy because media literacy isn't all about, you know, kids in schools being taught to spot fake news stories, although that is a part of it. Um, it's also about saying to the media, well, here are, here are some tools that you can use to convey trust and to help your readers understand where you get your information, why people should trust it, and almost like a quality mark you know and when you buy when you buy something from Sainsbury's you get a label on it and it tells you what's in it and we want to the IPA wants to uh, or sorry the IPA if it was set up <laughs> yeah. would like would like uh, to help newspapers and media establish those criteria and that helps journalists in their work as well because they know they know how they can help make themselves more accountable to the public. Okay, Ros Terrell, I'll leave it at that. Thanks very much for coming on Bang to Write. That's a pleasure. Thank you. So uh, that's Ros Taylor from from the T Three Commission. Um, Jez, what what did you make of that that proposal in there? 
I, I think it's a really interesting one. I, I think, you know, uh, the Giants, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google, I, I think they, they have to carry some kind of responsibility or, or have some kind of input into the, the kind of the information crisis that we seem to have at the moment, the, the whole notion of fake news. Um, you know, and, and I think if, if, they ha- if they have to pay a levy towards policing this, if that's the way it has to be done, and I think that's a good thing. I think, I think the whole term fake news is misleading as well. Um, it kind of suggests that, that the misinformation is, is coming from journalists, where, where in fact it can be coming from all kinds of sources. So I, I think if, you know, if it can lead to educating the public about what, what source of information they tr- should trust, what they should, they should question, I think that's, that's a good thing, really, um, and can aid our, our work, really. Yeah, no, Ros was, as, as you heard there, Ros was very uh, uh, insistent that this would not be a regulator of the platforms, but it would have a role mm. in monitoring them. Dave, do you think that, that, that kind of slightly standoff attitude, will that work well, in practice? Well, it's interesting, is it regulator, monitor? Uh, mm. Regulation is very difficult because of the trans international aspect of web giants, you know, the whole idea of jurisdictions, um, you know, we have fake news, or as Jeremy quite rightly says, uh, it's propaganda, you know, from some guy bashing out stories in, in, in the Balkans. So how quiet that would work, I'd like to see the nuts and bolts. I think it's a good idea. Uh, the practicalities, I'm less sure of it. I think it's interesting, you know, we could be going into a general election period ourselves. What would be the uh, value of news coming in there? Could it be regulated? Um, the heavy role of social media in this? Uh, there are massive questions, really. I don't think there's one single bullet, but it may be a good uh, start. Yeah, I mean, I think that's quite interesting, the fact that there, isn't, that there may be no one agency, no mm. one operation that, that does yeah. all this monitoring. I mean, I think if we look back, you know, even five years ago or even less, the idea of kind of policing the big media giants' sure. platforms was, was kind of out of the question. They just mm. seemed to be so much bigger than any agency. And now, actually, mm. we've got as we discussed with Ros, there's, there's the DCMS committee, there's IPSO is wanting to get involved, yeah. Ofcom's getting involved, the Electoral Commission. Which is maybe not a bad thing. Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. It, it's, it, it's, it may uh, be that we're making progress yeah, with it. If you feel you've only got one boss, you might take it easy. If you've got five <laughs> watching over you, you might uh, act differently. Yeah. Jez, um, Jez what did, was, there, was there anything else in the T3 Commission report that, that could have caught your attention? I, I was quite interested in the... Um, they identified the five giant evils of the information yeah. crisis. Um, so the ones that sort of stood out were con- confusion. So they're, they're sort of identifying that the public is less sure about what is true and who to believe. And as a consequence of that, uh, the second one is cynicism. So the public's losing trust in information that's being put out, even losing you know, faith in trust sources. So therefore us. You know, and I think I think if this can tackle that um, as well, I think that that's a good idea in principle. But as Dave said, it's how how it's delivered, really, and how it's policed. Although it's interesting, I think we have to look at our own profession because last week uh, on Press Gazette there was a yet another report about how. Uh, journalists were not basically trusted uh, and the level of trust in journalism it's down into single digits it's, isn't it? it's yeah. absolutely appalling <laughs> and may, you know that's a historic thing isn't it you know we've always said that we're, we're one notch below estate agents etc but in fact you know uh, you add that to the malign influence of social media then you've got a real massive mountain to climb yeah. Well, if you think that some of the stuff in the T3 Commission might be a solution, if you want to read the T3 Commission, T3 Commission 
report in full. You'll find it at lse.ac.uk slash media and communications. Or you can just Google for T3 Commission. You, you'll find it. It's capital T and then the number three. So just before we close for this week, Jay, Dave, Jez, uh, usual roundup of what's in store for students in the coming week in their, their law and ethics lectures. Jez, what have you got? Um, yeah, in uh, media law and regulation, we're finishing up with uh, reporting uh, of uh, children in court. And then it's essentially moving on to uh, revision, really, of what we've been doing this term. Yeah, Dave? Yeah, same here. We finished on freedom of information, which is a nice end to uh, law and ethics. And now we're going to be doing revision sessions. Um, the hard work begins. Yeah, yeah, for me too, for the postgrads too. We're, 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 we've got a session on privacy and breach of confidence, but I think um, they're quite eager to get into some revision, so we'll do that. So that's it for this week's podcast, and that's it for this season of Bang to Rights as well, I'm afraid. The marking season is pretty much upon us, and with students heading towards the Christmas week, we thought it would be a good time to wind down the podcast for a couple of weeks. But there will still be material coming on the feed while we're away. We'll have a special, edi- special edition looking at the radical press in Manchester in the 1970s and 80s. And we'll also put up a feature on journalist safety based on this afternoon's session at the NCTJ conference. So remember, you can still subscribe to Bang to Rights on Apple Podcasts. And as usual, you'll find us on Stitcher or you can search for Bang to Rights on the MMU Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. That's all one word, remember, MMU Northern Quota. Please do give us a rating. It'll help spread the word and helps others find us. So that's it for the moment. We have been Bang to Rights. Thanks, Jez. Thanks, Pete. And thanks, Dave. Thanks, Pete. And many thanks to Joe Webster from Reuters and thanks to the NCTJ and Harlow College for hosting us while we record this during the conference lunch break. And I can see and hear that they're about <laughs> to assemble for the next yeah. session. So that's remember, you can tweet at us at RightsBang and follow us for updates about the return of the podcast. Do let us know if there are topics or issues from your lectures or from your reading you want us to cover in future editions. But in the meantime, thanks very much for listening. We'll see you soon.